If you don't know me, I'm Jeff Perry. I'm a minister of students. I've been here for 16 years. Uh, my wife has now put up with me for 29 years. Um, I, there you go. You heard it. Somebody yelled saint. I heard that right away. Hey, praise God. I'm done for the day. Um, but it, as uh, the minister of students and, and a member of staff here, um, it's just a sheer privilege when I get to uh, stand before you and just offer God's word. And today, as we previewed in the little movie clip, we're going to be talking about faith. And we all say we have it, but I'm not sure we know how to use it. Because a lot of us as Christians, we put faith in things that are very temporal. We put our faith in things that we think that we're controlling. So today, as we uh, get ready to dive into Scripture... Uh, I just want to lay a basis for this, that when I read this scripture in preparation, I've tried to imagine every image that goes along with it. Now, my father has had the privilege to go to the Holy Land. I've never had that privilege. But um, I do know things from studying history and stuff like that, that uh, houses were very close together back in that day and time. So as you read this scripture, I want you to think of a small alleyway, maybe no wider than the Um, same width of the aisle going down the middle of this building. And I want you to imagine that you have all these homes around you which are more like condos. And the amount of people that must have been poured into this place because of Jesus being there. And if you have your Bibles, we're going to be reading from the book of Matthew, chapter 9, beginning in verse 27 going through 30 and you can see it on the screen but I'm going to read it to you as I have it here it says as Jesus went out from there two blind men followed him calling out have mercy on us son of David I'm going to stop there because I want to draw attention to the fact that they're calling out his name is the son of David you have to understand that in that day and from their belief system growing up There's only one person that would be the son of David, and that would be the Messiah. So right off in the bat, as he's walking down the street, they're hollering in a way which recognizes him for who he is. And I'll have to tell you this, you guys have read the Easter accounts, you probably know that there was a lot of Pharisees and other religious men that weren't probably happy that they were yelling this out, because it was contradictory to what was going on in that day. But as it goes on, it says, When Jesus had gone indoors, the blind men came into him, and they asked them. And Jesus asked them, says, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they replied, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes and he said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the opportunity today not to speak my word, but to speak your word. And Father, as we take these moments to look at our faith, both the issues and the exciting part of how our faith can guide lives and change people's lives, let us be open to the idea that you're real and you're in control of everything. And Father, in these days... We try to control so many things. We always offer our opinion. We always interject our thought. 
when really all we need to do is tell everybody else, God's got this. God's in control and he wins. So Father, as we open your word today, touch our heart in a way in which it hasn't been touched in a long, long time. And let us just enjoy this time in sharing with you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. As I begin, over the next hour and a half, we will begin... Uh, yeah, yeah. My reputation precedes me. Yeah. Um, I'm usually pretty good about this. I, I can take down the points and I can read through the points and know what I'm going to say. And as I shared with somebody after the first service, every note that I had, I did not use. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh my goodness, you know, what are they going to think if I say that? The real point of me saying that is this. You have to understand that when I stand before people, I try to take that responsibility very seriously. And that means if God's got something to say to you, Jeff, shut your mouth. My mom used to say that to me all the time. No, she never did. She never did say shut my mouth, but she... Keep it calm, keep it quiet. And my father's always taught me to let God share. So as we look at this today and look at these scriptures, just remember that. That if I seem like I'm going off on a tangent, that's just where I go. And I will try to bring that dog back into hunting site so we're all heading down the same road. But as we look at these scriptures, there's a couple of things that I want you to be aware of. In that day, blindness was looked as almost an illness and not so much a physical illness, but a spiritual illness. They were told by religious leaders of the day that the reason why they were blind was they didn't have enough faith. That they had done something that was unforgivable by God. All these kinds of terms were thrown out at blind people and people had had um, infirmities because of the fact, number one, they just didn't have the medical understanding that we do today, but number two was, I think it was a scare factor. So when this day came around and you had these two gentlemen who were blind, yeah, I want you to keep in mind that they must have had such a deep faith in who Jesus Christ was because they were willing to follow him anywhere that he went to receive the blessing. And another point I want to bring out, I said this in the first service, it wasn't in my notes, it kind of reflects on us too. Because... I realize that when we're talking about two blind guys following Jesus, that Jesus could have cut into an alley or something like that, and they wouldn't have known where he went. So it's very, very understandable that they probably had friends that had the same kind of faith that Jesus Christ was going to heal their friends. And therefore, they took their time to lead him or lead them to where he was and help them as they go. Now, here's my license that I'm using. That's us. We are the friends. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then you need to be in the friend category because there is somebody in your life, there is somebody that you know, somebody you work with, somebody you live next to that does not have faith in Christ. And therefore, we need to be those kind of friends that no matter what it takes, we're going to lead them to that point. We're not going to be able to make the decision for them. If it's a son or a daughter, you know how imperative it is. 
You know how to pray, and you want them to know this. But we have to continue the journey and try to make those opportunities available for them. Because, as I said in my prayer, it may be the theme line for the day, God's got this. Our faith sometimes limits God. And the first point that I want to bring up is faith that believes when it doesn't see. That's the kind of faith we want. We want the kind of faith that believes even though it doesn't see. These two guys are walking around and they know and they've heard the stories of Christ. Moments before and in a house across the street, he had just brought a dead girl back to life. But yet, they never once failed in their thinking. Their whole heart was in belief that if I follow this man, he can do the same for me. And it wasn't just because he was going to do something. Jesus could look deeper into their soul. A lot of times if we take our faith, our faith can lead us to points where we don't want it to be. Because our faith is built on stuff that we might gain knowledge from over our lives. Things that we just think are normal. And I was thinking about an example of this, and I, I have to go back, and uh, my father is now preaching down in Bracken County about the same time I'm here, but I'm going to use him as an example because it was hilarious. Okay? That's what preacher's kids do. Preacher's kids use their fathers and their kids. Isn't that right, Brett? I use you all the time. Hey, there you go. My son acknowledges that. So as I tell this story, I want you to understand that my father had put a lot of faith in someone who was very dear to both of us, and that was my mother. My mother could cook. Look at me. The one thing that I've grown up with a life of is appreciation for food, overabundance of food. Some people realize this about me, that when I travel... They'll ask me, hey, you ever been to this city? The reason why is if Jeff's been there, he knows where the little dive restaurants are, and I'll do it. It's either that or I have to tell him where the Krispy Kreme is. But anyway, as I'm sitting there and I'm thinking about this story, I'm thinking about this one day, and my mother, at any time of the year, she would pull out of her pan or her area in the bottom of the stove her double boiler. Double boiler people know what I'm talking about? Double boiler meant one thing in my house. That meant we were having fudge. Mom made peanut butter fudge, and she made crazy fudge. And my father and I have been blessed with a sweet tooth. So my father was out doing hospital visits on a Saturday, and I'm sitting in the house, and I looked over, and I noticed that Mom was doing the double boiler, and I said, oh, Mom's making fudge. And, you know, it was all going to be good. We were all going to be full of sugar and hyper and running around pretty soon. And as she was putting in the ingredients and stuff, she had moved off and she went in the laundry room and she was finishing up her laundry. And my father comes bebopping in, sliding door, I can remember it. Moreland Road, 25 Moreland Road. Opens up that sliding door, looks in. First thing he looks at is a stove. Evidently, he's like, like me. One thing on his mind. You know, am I hungry? I'm hungry. I'm going to look towards the kitchen. So he looks and he sees that stove and he sees that double boiler and he got excited. I'm sitting over here in the living room watching my father as he bebopped in 
walks over to the stove. Now he looked down in that pan, and there was that caramel, soft brown look of only peanut butter fudge has. Anybody ever go Gatlinburg? How many of you take the, the fudge samples but never uh, buy any? <laughs> the rest of you are all liars. That's all I'm going to tell you about. Okay. So you're sitting there and you walk down the street and everybody hands you a piece of fudge. So my dad got all excited. He walks over in the kitchen. He sets his stuff down, walks over, and my dad takes this finger. And he takes that finger and rakes it right across that pan. Now everybody goes, oh, he must have burned himself. My father could do that for some reason. Never did bother him. And he took that and he put that finger in his mouth and he began to choke violently. Now, I'm a 14-year-old kid. I'm seeing my father choke over there. Nowadays, they teach in the school what you're supposed to do. Back then, they just taught us how to laugh at our parents when they're choking. And that's what I'm doing. I'm standing in the other side of the room. Just like, this is hilarious. This is hilarious. Mom comes running out. She goes, what's wrong? What's wrong? And Dad's pointing down at the pan, and she looks at him, and she goes, you idiot. You idiot. I'm making lye soap. Now, how all this ties is this. The next words out of my mother's mouth are the ones that ring in my ear today. That stuff will make you go blind. So whenever I talk about blind people, first thing I think of Betty Joyce Perry going, you idiot. I used that word idiot on him one time and that really hurt. That's all I know. But mom could get by by with saying it, but she made the point. Then the next part was just as funny. She reaches in the refrigerator. She gets the gallon of milk. He's chugging down a gallon of milk, you know. Um, How many of you have been through youth ministry? How many of you have been in my youth ministry? Raise your hand, okay? I need you to answer this question. I need you to yell out real loud. When you chug a full gallon of milk, what happens? You throw up, and it's not just throwing up, it's projectile kind of thing. It's shooting across. And here is my father who was just choking, and now this is going on with him. It was hilarious for him. I mean, (laughs) Dad, wherever you are, I'm sorry. But I remember her saying, it will make you go blind. And when I'm thinking about the blindness that people have to face in their life, We have the image of two guys that have never seen. And can you imagine what happened when their eyes opened for the first time and they looked at their hand? Something that had brought food to their mouth their entire lives. But they had never seen it. How about the colors? Oh my, that's really what that looks like? That's beautiful? And of course, my favorite... They turned and looked at each other and go, man, you are not as pretty as I thought you were going to be. <laughs> there had to be some of that that went on. But just the tremendous discovery that they had, because now I'm not blind and I see. And the real reason was Jesus, what Jesus said to him. He says, you're not saved just because you asked me, because Jesus can do that. He could have waved his hand and healed them. But it was more important to point out the fact to them that they had a faith that had trusted in him when they couldn't see. Today, there's a lot of us sitting in this room that don't know what tomorrow looks like. 
We like to think we do. We convince ourselves that we do. But because of circumstances that have gone on, we're trying to look into the future saying, well, if this happens, and this is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and this is going to happen. If we continually do that, we don't have that same kind of faith. We have to understand God has this. Because how useful we're going to be to God's kingdom if we don't have that kind of faith that says, in all circumstances, God I'm coming to you. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to stretch the truth. I'm not going to make myself out to be anybody. I, I struggle with this just like everybody else does, if not more. Because there's a lot of times when people come to me and I get this feeling like I've got to have an answer for them right now. When all I need to be doing is looking at those people is we need to pray. We need to pray and we need to give it to God. No more discussion. It doesn't require us to have, you know, 12 paragraphs of written papers or anything else. We don't need to write a dissertation on it. We just need to have faith and trust and pray. And that's where we screw up as Christians. Because we sit here and we think we can outthink God. That we know better. And what happens is there's people that become casualties of that. People listen to what we say. And they sit there and they watch you as an example in your faith. And they're sitting there going, well, you know what? If they're over here panicking and they say this, and this is what, what they mean. And you want me to tell you, I'm going to be the first person to tell you this right now. If anybody comes to you and says, Jeff feels this way or Jeff feels this way, here's what I need you to do. Just look them right in the eye and say, I don't think so. Go talk to Jeff. There's only one person I want speaking on my behalf, and that's God. And if people don't understand that, then that's their problem, and that's their issue that they need to get right. A piece of Scripture that goes along with this, it says that faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about the things that we cannot see. We can't see tomorrow. We're not trusted that way. God needs to be a part of our lives because of the fact He knows exactly what the future holds for each one of us. And we don't need to be pulling that back from Him. A lot of times when I go to the hospital, when I'm talking to people, I hear this statement, and it just curls my toes when I do it. I hear people say, well, I guess all there's left to do is pray. I guess the only thing we got left to do now, Jeff, we need to pray. Yes, that's it. And I'm thinking about God being up there in heaven and looking at us and going, really? This is what you think? Okay, hey, everything else has failed. Put in the bench warmer. In the first service, I used uh, our little boy that plays for UK with the little headband on his head. It comes down to the national championship game, and they need that kid. I'm not so sure he's going to know what to do because they never stick him in. 
but I sure don't want to put my faith in somebody who doesn't know what's going on. I want God to be in my starting lineup. I want God to be directing everything. And if that's not a point where you are in your faith, you need to get there. Now, I'm not saying this to be uh, demanding or to point people out. I'm saying this, when I say you, I mean we, and I am willing to take that journey with you. We do it together as a church. We need to get to the point where God's at the focus of everything. The second point is this, that faith that persists when nothing changes. About eight years ago, I went to Youth Specialties, which is a big conference for youth ministers, and I was out in um, Orange County. No, I was in San Diego, California. And when I was there, I had the privilege of having one guy come and speak, and his name is Bill Hybels. Now, some of you know who Bill Hybels is. He's pastor at Willow Creek. It's in suburbs of Chicago. It's an enormous church. Um, So many good things came out of that church about um, the way that we deal with society and, and things. And Bill is a real genuine person. And he came before the youth ministers. He's actually one of the ministers... And if you've ever been around youth ministers, he's one of the ministers that can sit down in a conference and speak, and all the youth ministers don't get up and leave and go eat lunch early. There's a few of them, but you know, I mean, not all senior pastors are that way, but there's a few of them. But anyway, so Bill came in, and he's sitting there, and he told this story, and when I was preparing for the sermon, I came across this story again. And it's the story of a lady who was at church on one of their celebration Sundays when they baptized people. In the celebration Sunday, this girl baptized her mother. And her testimony was she prayed for her mother for 22 years. And Bill said that in front of the masses. He says, he says 22 years she's diligently prayed. And he goes, it's just amazing. And... Then after the service, Bill's walking out in the parking lot and he sees the daughter and she is just leaning on her car, hands in her face, and she's just bawling her eyes out. And he walks up to her and he says, what's wrong? He goes, today's a celebration day. Your mother is going to heaven. And she goes, Brother Bill, she goes, I need to tell you what really happened. She goes, I have prayed for 22 years. Two years into my prayer time for my mom, I wondered if anybody was listening. And I almost quit. Five years into it, people were telling me, you're wasting your time. Nothing's going to change. God doesn't care about you. And I almost quit. Fifteen years into it, I really started to question God and whether there was a God because I continually had this prayer and nothing was happening. Twenty years into it, I was done. I threw up my hands. I was so frustrated. But I woke up that next morning and I continued to pray for some reason. And Bill looked at me and says, but it's 22 years. Simply making this point. There's a lot of days when I pray to God and I pray about things that are important to me, 
things that I think that I need, things that I think that would change my life. You know, uh, I'm, not a, I'm not one of these people that go out and buy a lottery ticket and pray to God. I don't do that, you know. I don't know if you are, but it usually doesn't work out. You just lost $5 or whatever you pay for the lottery ticket. But I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking about all these people that have prayed for so many things, and when it doesn't come true, how discouraging it can be, and discouraging it can be. And I said, you know what? After 22 years, I'd love to find this girl and ask her how she feels now. Because she was beating herself up. But she didn't give up. How many days do we just throw up our hands and we say, you know what, God, I guess you're not there. I guess I'll have to take control of it again. I guess I'm going to have to make sure that it gets done because I'm not hearing anything from you. And everybody in here knows the three answers from God, right? First answer is yes. Say them with me. Yes, no, and wait. Not now. And if we as Christians can understand that and accept that, our faith is going to grow so big because pretty soon we're not going to be in control of anything in our lives. God's going to be controlling every little aspect of our lives. And God has that plan, what he says in Scripture, to prosper you, to fulfill your heart's dreams. Those kind of thoughts come from God because that's his will for us. But we've got to trust him in that. Such an awesome story. It's a humbling story to know that somebody is so diligent about prayer. It says this in Colossians. It says, be persistent in prayer and keep alert as you give thanks to God for everything. Is it hard to thank God when things don't come out the way that we wanted them to? Is it hard for us to stay in that groove when what we think should happen isn't? Absolutely. But God hasn't gone anywhere. He's never going to leave us nor forsake us. And if I can step out of that sermon mode right now and say this statement to some of you, over the last three weeks, I have prayed and I've hurt and I've struggled. But I'm going to tell you this, that God's got this. And if you walk in there, walk in these doors, and you don't believe that, you need to come and talk. We need to talk. I need to tell you that it's going to be all right. We need to quit walking out and getting our holy church huddles and talking about stuff and get on our knees and do something about it. And that's hard for me. I'm a control freak. Ask my children. They run from me when I stand up out of the chair because they don't know whether I'm coming at them or coming to give them a hug. I'm a control freak. But I'm serious. And that doesn't go with any one specific topic. That goes with anything that ever comes our way as a church body. 
somebody wants to talk about it and they've got their opinions, they've got their ideas, look at them and say, I love you, brother. I love you, sister. I appreciate your input. God's got this. I'm trusting in God. Third point is this, that faith works when it doesn't make sense. Holy mackerel, my whole life hasn't made sense. Looking back, I'm getting, how many days am I from it now, Kendra? Five days? Oh, pray for me. In five days, I'm going to turn 50, whatever that means. Uh, I got my AARP card sent here to the church, which was uh, good. So... My son was excited. He, hey, you get discounts at stuff now. Yeah, you don't drink coffee. Don't worry. You're not getting 45-cent coffee. Or anyway, 50 years, I look back in my life, and I look about how many times that I've been out of control. I look at how many times that I haven't gone to God and said, hey, can you help me with this matter? And usually, the best way for me to describe it is, I'm running along that dirt path, and God will walk beside me. And all of a sudden, Jeff just thinks that God's moving a little bit too slow. Ask Kendra about that. We were down there in Louisville. I'd have to stop and turn around and look for her, because Kendra walks like this, like a woman should. And I'm cutting through every piece of crowd and every alley. I I lost her three times this week. I, I didn't know where she was. But God nuts me go out there and run so far out ahead. And when I get so far out ahead, I usually go right flat on my face. Man, I'm a man. I don't want to admit that. I don't admit that I fail. But the greatest feeling is when I'm down, face down in the dirt, and God sends that hand, and he pulls me back up, and he brushes me off. He says, you see, listen to me. Trust me. I got this. And when he does that, just that peace falls over me. And that's what I want for all of us. When doesn't it make sense, though? There's only one story in the Bible that really just kind of blows my mind. The book of Daniel, chapter 3, verse 17, it begins talking about three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're in this story where they're dealing with King Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar had made this grand statue of himself, had begun to think a lot of himself. He wanted everybody to bow down and worship him. That doesn't happen today, does it? We don't build our own idols, do we? No, no. But he had built this giant idol and he told the guys, he said, this is it. He says, what happens is, is when you hear the horns blow and all the trumpets and the people begin to sing, everybody must drop to their knees. And those three guys looked at him and said, ain't going to happen. We're sorry, king, but we serve the living God. And therefore, we are not going to bow down to your idol." He said, well, if you don't, I'm going to fire up the furnace. He says, not only am I going to fire up the furnace, I'm going to make it hotter than it's ever been. He says, I'll burn the skin off of your bones. He said, and you will be a living example of what happens to people that don't bow down to me because I'm a God. Then the greatest line, and I think, that I've ever heard when it commands about faith. 
comes out of these three guys' mouths. They said, King, we believe that our God is going to deliver us from that furnace. Whatever you think you're going to do to us, it's not going to happen. Our God is bigger. And we trust him and we have full faith in him. Then the key line starts, but if he doesn't, we will still not bow down to you because we serve the living God. Guys, all my life, I've had to deal with the fact that when I pray and I talk to God and I have this relationship, I always have this, God, if this, then this. If you allow me to do this, then I'll do this. God, if this happens, then I, want, then I can promise you that I'll do this for you. Or I'll work harder for you if you allow me to have this. And number one is, who do I think that I am to lay that line on God? He's the one that breathed a life into me. Let me get the word out. He's the one that blesses me with each day when I wake up, open my eyes, and I've got another day to live and to serve him. But yet I put those kind of demands on God. We need to become a group of Christians that's not a, if God, then God. We need to become Christians that say, even if. Take the word even and just put it in front of the if and you change the whole dynamic about your faith and how we stand for God. You know what, God? This is what I'm praying for. But even if that's not what happens, I'm still here for you. You know what, God? I really think that this is what ought to happen here and this is what I'm praying about and if I'm wrong, you show me. But even if... I'm still here. I'm not going away. Guys, we trust God with some great things in our lives, but we also sometimes treat God like he's a little kid. God, bless our food. Now, I'm not saying don't do that, because I'm one of those people, I need God to bless my food, because I'm usually eating ho-hos and ding-dongs, okay? But if that's what we limit our day to is say, God, bless our food. God, while we're traveling today, give us traveling mercies, God. It's great to ask for that. But do you realize how many people that don't believe in God, that hate God, all this thing, ride the highways every day safely? It's not going to be the kind of statement that's going to impress them. It's got to be the way that we live and we show an example. Two weeks ago, I had the privilege of going down to Florida. And while I was down in Florida, I'm on a plane and I'm thinking, why am I going here? What is going to be accomplished by this? And what I can tell you is this, that God brought me into a presence where he humbled me. And he brought me to a group of people that weren't willing or weren't there to tell me what I should do. but they just loved me. And they spoke into my life. 
And every one of those people looked at us and said, we love you. And we're praying for you. And over and over again, it just plays in my mind. God's got this. I don't know where you are in your life today. I don't know the garbage that you carried in here. I don't know the baggage that you're troubled with every day. I don't know who you're praying with, but you don't need to do that alone. That's what your church family's for. Number two is this. We can't go out these doors and be the same kind of people if we've had a faulty faith up to this point in time. Not that we didn't have faith, because faith brought us to salvation. But what happened after that point? That we begin to take it back from him? <clears throat> we need to walk out of here and just say, God's got this. I want everybody to say that with me today. God's got this. Say it again. God's got this. Say it like you mean it. God's got this. And when you walk out that door and you believe that in your heart, there's not going to be a circumstance. There's not going to be able to be a person or an enemy. There's not going to be able to be a health condition. Anything come across you that you don't know that you're not alone. Because God's got this. And somebody shared with me after the first service, they were talking about a physical ailment. And she, you know, she's talking about the fact that she's prayed so long about healing and stuff like that. And I said, I can tell you a story about praying for healing. I sat by my mother for two years. And I was really bitter at God because I'm sitting there going, hey, I'm, do, I'm living my life right, I think, and I'm not seeing anything. But I was not in a God's got this kind of thing. But what God actually did was use those last two years of my life, my, wife, my mother's life, to touch so many people. And he taught me to be humble and to understand the day that my mother-in-law died. He prepared me one year before my mother-in-law died by me going through what I went through with my mom. Because I had to be there for Kendra. God's got this. Don't ever doubt it. Tell people that. Make that your mantra. Make that the thing that you claim every day in front of people. God's got this. And I'll go ahead and say this because I said that today. If there's bumper sticker rights or t-shirt rights, I get cut in, okay? Just teasing. I'm not going to stick it on a t-shirt. It needs to be in your heart. So today, whatever you've brought into this place, the altar's open. I'm going to ask Kent to come in, bring the praise team in. Last line I wrote down, I couldn't think of anything better to say, was this, that I'd rather be blind with faith that God can heal than to see every day and have no faith. Claim that promise today. Come over here to the altar if you need to pray. The elements are over to the side. What a great time just for you to just have a moment with God. Whatever it is, I'll be down here in the front if you want to talk, need somebody to pray with you. But I need to hear it one more time. Tell me.
God's got this.